This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading, human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights, like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves, you need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision-maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 542, 542 of Accelerate, sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, joining me on the show today, actually back for the second time, Drew Nicer. He's a fellow New Yorker. He's the founder and CEO of Renegade, a leading marketing agency based right here in New York City. And we're going to have a conversation about the effectiveness of content marketing. You know, it's a big buzzword. Everybody talks about content marketing. Every marketer is in love with it. But the big question is, does it work? In fact, recent research from a couple sources present a mixed picture of the effectiveness of content marketing and how only a small fraction of marketers believe they're actually getting the value from their content marketing and from the marketing technology tools they use to make that all happen. So if you're in sales, that may sound familiar to you. So we're going to dive into this with with Drew. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 542. There you'll find a timestamp breakdown of this and all the conversations on Accelerate. And we have a great partner helping us to sponsor today's show. That's Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales, marketing, and staffing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discover.org.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. All right, so let's jump right into it. Drew Nicer. Welcome to Accelerate. I'm really excited to be here, and I have that much more admiration for you having started my own podcast series, knowing that you're rounding into 500, and I'm at about 40. I am just (laughs) in awe of you. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you. So, yeah, here we are. We're we're in the same town. We only talk to each other over over podcasts. That's not true. We got together once, but uh, we'll have to do that again here soon. So, it's great to have you back. So, I've got a... uh, question I ask all my guests, right? The start of the show. And this question is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? You know, I, I think it's this issue of convergence that all these things are sort of happening at the same time where, you know, you've got content, you've got social, you've got uh, purpose branding and storytelling. And there's so many things that in theories out there right now about how all this stuff works together that I think the sales folks are basically overwhelmed and um, are over-dependent on technology and just forgetting some of the very basic elements of what it takes to uh, be a good salesperson. Like picking up the phone and calling somebody. Hey, that works. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is, is that, you know, I actually, like many executives, answer my own phone and the phone doesn't ring that often. Well, so when it rings, it's like, whoa, wait, it's a phone call. It's like a piece of mail these days, right? Well, yeah, that's it, the thing that's, that gets me going is because I, I had this conversation with somebody last week. It's, it's okay, 
he had written a book and he said, everybody knows it's so much harder to get hold of executives these days than it was in the past. And I'm like, no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, have you tried it, calling them? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it, this whole generational comparison is harder before than it is now. And so it's like, no, it it's hard, but it's it's still hard, but it's not any harder. I mean, back in back in the day when you and I were younger and we were getting started, you talked about you had your own sales experience. You know, there were, you know, executives all had assistants, you know, dedicated assistants, which is not the case, right? And a lot of times, you know, manager, director level people don't, you know, maybe share an admin or don't have an admin at all. They all did, you know, up and down an organization. It was, it was exceedingly difficult <laughs> to get somebody on the phone. In fact, I could recount the stories of actually, I had yeah, called several times into an account trying to get hold of somebody, wasn't able to. So I'd get in my car, I'd drive out to the account, I'd see the admin and she'd admit, she had torn my messages up. She'd never delivered them to the exec. <laughs> it happened all the time. Yeah. Right? They made the decision. Yeah, he's not interested in this right yeah. now. He doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> and so and, go away. Yeah. And so when you we tell a story, and I answer my own phone all the time. I had somebody last week that called that was sort of stunned into silence for like 20 seconds because he couldn't believe that I actually picked up my own phone. There you go. Now, I will say, and you know this too, that you do get, and it always happens to me between eight in the morning and nine and five and seven, that old trick. Mm -hmm. And I know those calls are going to be brokers who are just ready to, you know, to in increase my wealth times a hundred. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, you know, you know, and I know I, I have no interest in talking to these folks um, and they never have an interesting presentation or anything that in that first, you know, hook, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about selling you something. Um, that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. Cause I don't know who they are. I have no reference point. They've done mm -hmm. no homework on me. All exactly. they want to do, right. They just, they're calling me so uninformed, but you know, had they sent me something in the mail, like saying, Hey, uh, Drew, we've sort of, we read your articles. We listened to your podcast, which by the way, flattery gets you everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then here's a report that we did on marketing, you know, on people who own their own business and how they, you know, whatever that would have gotten my attention. That one, two punch bingo. Well, yeah. And that, that's the part that sort of drives me nuts is, you know, we have all these great tools and technologies out there we can use for reaching out to people. And the promise is always personalization at scale. And you know, to your point, I get pitched multiple times a day from people wanting to be on this podcast. And I can tell when they've actually listened to an episode or not based on the email. And it, it's, you know, those that have actually listened to the episodes, listened to an episodes, can make a reference to a specific one, something that was said. They get a hearing. The others, yep. the others don't. It's and it's so simple. All they had to do was listen to the podcast, and that isn't even punishing. It's a good. I love your show. Oh, thank uh, you. You know, and I listened to about four episodes before I got on it, just because I want to know what the conversation is that you've been talking about. So, mm -hmm. do your homework is a pretty basic. Uh, but again, that gets down to sort of this this notion that this is work, and but if you do the right amount of work, um, it's just a lot easier. I get, by the way, I get PR pitches for people because I have a column on ad age and, you mm -hmm. know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, I loved your story and so-and-so. And I, and I, it's like, I didn't write that one. <laughs> 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 and you say, really? How could you, I mean, cause I've written like 
50 plus articles. How did you find one that I didn't write um, <laughs> and, and in the last year? So right. anyway, yeah, that's some basic homework. And I think, you know, a lot of those people are like junior PR people and don't get me started that they just haven't really taken the time. And that's sales, right? You're well, pitching sales, someone. Absolutely. It's the exact same thing. That's salespeople are, are committing the same faux pas, right? It's, it's right. yeah, every day you're sure you're like me as my inbox gets flooded at night. Yeah, I actually deliberately sign up for things I'm not really interested in just to hear what I'm going to receive or to read what I'm going to receive from them in terms of their their pitch. And oh, you're a glutton for punishment, my <laughs> well, friend. Part of my job, right? Yeah, I don't, I, look at, so. I don't look at all of them, but I'm, you know, a couple okay. times a week I'll go through and sort of scan things. Right. And despite the fact, you know, technology's been out here now for, you know, better part of a decade, at least on the marketing side, the sales side, certainly for the last five years. Um. Yeah, it's still pretty uniformly bad. It's the the technology is still not being used. That individual practitioners might be good at it, but you know the rank and file by and large isn't. Despite what the companies that are selling, and actually the worst offenders are the companies selling the tools. So uh, it's funny you should say that. So I'm I'm excited about some of the tools. I've been to a number of the conferences, and I actually think that there are some really interesting tools mm-hmm. out there that can help us sell. And it's funny. Uh, so we did a social uh, selling uh, webinar the other day for a B2B client when there were about 15 salespeople on it. And I followed up with all of them with on, on LinkedIn with a, a message, a LinkedIn message, mm-hmm. just to see if they would respond. <laughs> I got about three out of the 15 to respond. I said, okay, well, that seminar didn't take. Mm. <laughs> but but, but nonetheless, that was sort of an interesting thing. It's like, okay, if we're going to use social selling and we're going to get into that world, well, let's get into the practice of LinkedIn etiquette and, and you know responding to those things. But I want to tell you a different story, which is sure. just is sort of funny. You and I both use Twitter quite a bit to promote right. our podcast and so forth. And for the most part, part, it's, you know, put a message out there and, and, you know, you don't get a huge amount of engagement, but there is one or two people that follow me very carefully and, uh, that, uh, they're CMOs and they retweet my stuff and they like my stuff and they add a comment and they do it with surprising regularity. It's like they must clearly once a week or twice a week at five minutes of five say, I'm going to go through my list of people and, and so forth. And so I always use this example. One of them is, is Heather and, and, and Heather. So if Heather called me tomorrow and said, Heather, uh, Hey Drew, I want to be on your podcast. What do you think I would say? I'd say, of course, I love you. You've been nurturing my social stream Mm -hmm. for a year, Mm -hmm. for a year, Mm -hmm. right? So that you talk about paving the way for a cold call, it would be the easiest thing in the world for her to pick up the phone and say, Hey, or I want you to write an article on something or other. I would do it in a heartbeat because she right. sort of has been giving and giving and giving. And this is where sort of where I I talk about the give to get economy, right. where you know that that's what we're in. And right. if you think about what you can give, well, today social currency is easy to give and it takes so little time. And if you take ABM technology and you say, okay, there's only 100, p- 100 companies that matter. There are 10 contacts at that company. I can isolate those 1,000 names. I can manage to that list and spend 20 minutes a day with a little bit of social nurturing and, and watch that you know, that little seed grow so that when we finally need to, you know, get in front of them, they're going to be going, I know you already because you've mm-hmm. been part of my social conversation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's work. It takes, it takes time. Um, and again, that's where these tools can be really valuable if you use them. Well, let's 
sort of move forward in the conversation, we were, we we're going to talk about content marketing, one mm-hmm. of the things we're going to talk about. And I read an interesting article, actually it was a book, somebody sent me their manuscript a couple weeks ago, and I had the person on the show as a guest, and so I'd read the the book, and it was mostly a sales book, but they had a comment in there about content marketing. And it's just sort of a blanket sta- statement, excuse me, saying that content marketing's not effective at reaching decision makers. Decision makers don't read, is basically what this person's saying. It's just you know, the various influencers within the organization that actually actually read. So his conclusion was, you know, you're spending a lot of money on content marketing, time and effort, and it's not reaching the people you really need to reach. And I was like, hmm, A, I don't believe that, but B, I was interested in your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard um, <laughs> this week. I, I, honestly, I mean, that to say that somebody doesn't read because they're an executive, that is is crazy. Well, that's it, what I it, thought. It's just, it's a gross generalization. I'd love to see the data on that. Um, I well, doubt no, this was, that, this was anecdotal, I'm sure. Of right? course it was. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the truth is that a lot of executives do a lot of homework and a lot of reading. They may not be reading your drivel because most content stinks and isn't worth, you know, the, the second that it shows up in your inbox or on the website because everybody decided to be a content publisher. And, you know, how many people have you met in your life that are good writers? Not, not so not many, right? Yeah. Yet there are 98 people out of a hundred writing stuff, and two of them are actually worth reading. And so that's the real problem right now is that this explosion of content um, makes you just sort of really appreciate good writing, which is why some sources, whether it's the Economist or the New York Times, the value of that journalistic content is so much higher even than it was uh, because you know that that's the good stuff. And so I think you're that, that this person is right if they're saying the executives aren't reading crap, but you know what? They might be going to Forrester or Gartner or some of those other places to read what they believe are credibly researched um, opinions mm-hmm. on very right. That's mm-hmm. reading. Um, it's just that the source is credible, and that's the hard part right now: is what sources are credible and what what isn't. And then, you know, uh, don't get me started on storytelling and so forth, which is the w- most overused and least understood term in marketing right now. But but well, anyway, no, well, let's no, let's spend a second on that because I think. Certainly, sales, marketing. I mean, you're from the marketing side. I'm from the sales side. Yeah, storytelling is sort of the, the term du jour almost, other than account-based strategies, uh, which is is the biggest buzzword right now. But storytelling sort of maybe so, peaked a little bit uh, you know, earlier this year, in my estimation, but in terms of the number of articles coming out about it. But it's still Thank God. There. Yeah. And, and here's, the, here's the fundamental issue, is that the stories that we remember, the stories that we like have elements of conflict and a narrative that actually has some mom- some moments of surprise and you, you connect with them on a very visceral level, right? There was mm. an inciting incident. So Luke Skywalker's step-parents or uncle, they die, right? So suddenly right. he's essentially an orphan. He has to go out into the world. Um, that's the inciting incident. And then it goes from there and there's surprise after surprise. The interesting thing when it comes to brand storytelling is they basically would think that brand storytelling is here's my product it's terrific don't you love it mm. no no conflict no surprise and oh by the way you're not the freaking hero and right. so 
you know, the brands that get it, and there's a couple, I uh, wrote an article in a did podcast with Manny Rodriguez, who of UC Health, he totally gets the storytelling and, and, and put, created some beautiful videos of, of people that have gone through very traumatic uh, and have wonderful stories. And each one has a surprise. You don't see what's coming. Mm-hmm. And it's not about UC Health. It's about this individual and how they right. overcame an obstacle. That's storytelling. So now you say, okay, what's that have to do with sales guys? Well, let's assume for a moment that the story is infused with a purpose that this company, why this company exists, right? And if it's UC Health and the, the purpose is to, you know, obviously help people's lives and celebrate the success of people's lives and let them get on with it, then you as the salesperson have to figure out how does that story fit with my personal story? And so that's the interesting part of this is when a brand does it well and they have this, they have an an epic story, if you will, with some inherent conflict. And so the, the salesperson can then find a piece of that story. And often, by the way, it's like the founder story, right? right. The founder did this because that was the inciting incident. And if, if that founder story is really important and really clear, the salesperson can internalize that and get off and go do their thing and say, they're still an individual. They found their own way of telling that story often in a something that happened to them, but the story is parallel. It follows the same plot line. It's not about that individual as a hero, but it is something that really catches uh, the the person that the target's attention. And so this is where storytelling could be incredibly powerful, but it's so not being done, <laughs> except for in rare cases, that I really don't want to hear that word again. <laughs> well, I think what I find is, is problematic about storytelling, and, and I've interviewed many authors on the show about it. Some have written books specifically for you know storytelling for sales. Is that the the framework they lay out for how you create a story and tell it is just too complex? Exactly. So as a consequence, people aren't going to use it. Right. And so I laid out in my latest book, um, "Amp Up Your Sales," you know, just a a framework for answering four questions in a story that that can be told in thirty seconds or less. Because I think if if you make it more difficult than that. Then you're just not get the adoption you want on the part of the salespeople, and as a you know, there's not be telling stories at all. And it's almost like you have to almost make them like anecdotes, but with some key components to it. So I mean, yes. four questions I have them answer about a so telling a story to a prospect about an existing customer. You know, it's first one is why was the existing customer interested in talking to them? You know, what was the the problem they were trying to solve? Why did they choose you to solve it? And what was the value they received from having solved the problem? And and if you can you can answer that and tell a story very quickly in twenty to thirty seconds about that, and you know it's something that the prospect can relate to because it's another company. It gives them the the facts. It doesn't you know you don't talk about the inciting incident per se. You're not elaborating a lot, but you're giving them some sort of uh, social proof through the storytelling that's really valuable, and people will use it. So I, I guess I'd have to add or try to working with that framework. It feels very uh, rational and sort of I've got this product and I want you to sell it, and that can work if that customer is in that mindset 
at that moment. My concern is how do I get this person to think about me uh, in a way that they want to talk to me again tomorrow? Because mm -hmm. rarely is the sale happen on that initial contact or the second contact or the third contact. So really all we're trying to do in a lot of sales incidents, make sure we get another meeting, right? Just exactly. make, keep the keep the thing going. And so I would rather hear a salesperson. So one of the things that my pet peeves about storytelling is that a lot of uh, a brand CMOs talk about it and then they do it in a without telling a story. So like when I start my keynote address, I start with two stories that I know are going to capture the audience attention. I know that they're going to get them to look at me and go, oh my God, how did you survive that? One mm. of them happened. One of them happens to be when I was 16 and I was driving my grandmother's car. I'm going 114 miles an hour on the San Diego freeway and the hood flew open. <laughs> uh, Very interesting. So, yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, what do you do? And, and that set up another story where my business essentially, you know, was going 114 miles an hour and the hood flew up. And so it immediately, I grabbed their attention. They they realized, oh, this is a guy that I want to hear more from. And the stories have relevance and and. I'm, I'm, you know, I survived those things. And ultimately there's a moral that, you know, as a result of these stories and they, they allow you to have this conversation and be memorable and create an emotional connection. And so the funniest thing in, in recently, when I asked, I always ask after I tell my story about the uh, car is I said, has this ever happened to you? And <laughs> so a woman raised her hand. This is down in Atlanta. She said, yeah, I, I had it when my hood flew open. I said, well, were you going 114 miles an hour? And she said, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so I paused. I said, oh, yeah, that's great. Love user-generated content. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. But you know what? That was actually perfect. And I now repeat that story every time I, I tell the first one. Because, you know, if you can be self-deprecating, if you can put yourself uh, you know, show a little humility. That's a, you know, that's a sort of endearing characteristic. And, and that's part of what good storytelling can do. All right. Well, let's relate that back to content marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I was reflecting on something I'd read recently that's uh, studied by Content Marketing Institute saying that 40% of B2B marketing departments finding, or less than 40%, excuse me, of B2B marketing companies are finding, quote unquote, success with their content marketing. So what's the problem? So I think there's several problems. I think the number one is quality versus quantity. They're slaves to their content calendar, not slaves to really good. Um, two, I don't think it is ground in uh, a common Uber story. And so it's death by a thousand paper cuts. They don't, the pieces don't hold together. Um, they're just not interesting. I mean, you know, I, every blog post that I write, and I'm not saying that I every blog post is as interesting as it should be, but I try to find some little anecdotal story that sets up the situation. Just something that's interesting and that's personal because it's my blog that makes this thing uh, that the next part that you're going to read is is worth the time. Mm -hmm. If you read the first sentence of most corporate things, it's Yonsville. And there's no, you know, it's just, it's absent of, I mean, these folks obviously didn't go to journalism because school, because if, if they had, they would know what a lead sentence was, right? Right. I mean, each sentence has to be written, the first one to get your attention, the second one to read, the third one, right? And you have to sort of build this story. So 
you know, one, I just think that the, the quality is crap and, and it's not worth reading. So then, and number two is that it's not, it's not cohesive. It doesn't add up to anything. They haven't answered the question, why the heck should anybody read this? So the other first one, you know, I think is, is really something that a lot of companies need to need to really look at is, and am I just doing too much? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: it, it quantity matters in the scheme of things uh, because not every story is going to resonate with the the people that you're doing. But here's the other thing: I would think is, you know, here, one of the things we talked about earlier about all these tools and people not using the tools. The irony is, uh, if you, HubSpot uses their tools really well, and yes, Eloqua yes. uses their tools really well, and Marketo exactly. and 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 all of these folks, and part of it is if you go to HubSpot. Spot's content. It's really good, by the it way. Is. It is. But yes. it's it doesn't stand alone. There's an SEO team uh, that's really smart and optimizing. There's a, an SEM team that's making sure these are getting boosts. There's a paid social team that mm-hmm. is pushing this content. Mm-hmm. So each post is almost a campaign or part of a campaign. And so the, the notion today that you could write a piece of content or a bunch of content and they will come, if you write it, they will come, is ludicrous. It's no more, it's on the same notion that organic social works. Um, you, you know, social media is a, is a paid, you know, everything is about writing great stuff, creating interesting stuff, and then boosting it somehow. Now, there is the rare person, Joe Ferrara, I know you, you, you know Ferrara, him, yeah. John, pardon, pardon me, John Ferrara of Nimble, who did it without that. He did it, he built a business without any paid, but again, he was using his own tool and building it and, and using it. And you watch him use that tool and it's like, oh my God, I wish I could make his tool work that well. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. a, that's and so, a specific case. Every time I talk to John, I have that same feeling. Right. It's like, oh my God, I want to do this. I want to do this. And yet I walk out of there and go, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I think that sort of covers the, you know, the quality isn't very good. They're not doing storytelling and they're not finding a way to marketing the marketing. You just have to, whatever it is. It's not like you could say, hey, we're going to do a webinar, period. You know, you have to promote it, right? And you have to think about this systematically is in the way we used to think about marketing campaigns. Content needs to be part of a marketing campaign that fits. So, and this is where this notion of convergence comes in is Mm -hmm. that, there, these things can't be isolated, and this is the problem: is contents over here, socials over there, paid is over here, SEO is over here. It's all marketing, and all of it can support sales if it is, uh, you know, in the classic sort of demand gen world. It can still happen uh, if those departments are actually sort of one and measured as one. But the thing I think the key thing you said right there, though, is that you really shouldn't expect that organic social let's say is really going to grow you know grow your following for your content not at all i mean it, you know if if so you're, you're, talking, you're talking about paid ads on facebook to boost or paid ads on twitter or wherever yeah really content. really smart stuff i mean you know we found great success with you know you you build up a newsletter list you take that list then you you advertise against that list on facebook and you time it so that your advertise your newsletter and your facebook advertising goes out at the same time wonderful things happen your open rates go up um, and uh, you know your your uh, click throughs to your website or whatever it is that you're you but know, you're not you're, advertising the newsletter no huh. 
No, no, no. You're but boost, you're doing you're boosting it as, another piece of content, right? You're boosting another piece of content that also was written about in the newsletters. You do them as a one-two punch. It's amazing. It just it works. It, but it's coordinated. It's a campaign. You know, it's like two impressions are better than one impression. And oh, by the way, if you had ten of those, and then the sales guy cold called, and you were retargeting right before it, right? So suddenly this guy had seen thirty impressions of your company, and then he got a cold call. It's like you guys are everywhere. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? Bingo. Now, is that something, though, that that converts then also to people signing up for a list, let's say, if they're not on your list? or So, you know, the, the goal of really, uh, the first goal of any kind of content program is figuring out how do you can capture names. And mm-hmm. this is why, you know, we, we, I, I, you know that I have this website, Social Media Explorer, right, which is right. a top 10 blog. And we've been using it really as a way of learning on our own nickels so that when we make recommendations to our clients that, that we're not, you know, that we're not pulling it out of the air or just saying random things. And so we're constantly testing. And one of them was name capture. And the the balance that we pay play every single day is how many times do we hit someone with a pop-up window before we annoy them, right? right. And, but Nonetheless, we've worked very carefully on what that is and the timing of it. So we capture the names, we build up the list. And then a fascinating thing happened is we start running uh, you know, our newsletter, a weekly newsletter on it. Mm-hmm. We tested our way and we tested our way. And we kept noticing the same open rate problem. It was like 13%. Right. So I said, this is wrong, guys. Something's wrong. So then what we, because we were optimizing against the whole list. So we said, well, hmm, let's just optimize against the 13% and see what happens. Next thing you know, we uh, were able to get our our open rate up to 55%. And it was sort of, it started to go down to about between 40 and 50%. And then we went back to those other people and said, are we boring you? Um, did the you other sign people up? meaning everybody that wasn't the, the 13? Yeah. Right. And then, and we converted half of those people back into the fold. No, 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 we're still interested. We like you. And so... Once you the, the the challenge with testing newsletters is if you tell it, test it against the whole uh, group, you don't learn enough. You need to test it against the people who care about your brand, uh, who care so about the do, content. What did you do differently then for the people that that were so, opening it? Then what we started to test are uh, headlines. How many articles should we include in the newsletter? Three, two, one. Did we need an offer in there? And what was fascinating is we found that one little blurb about an article did better than three in terms of driving clicks back to the website. And, and it seems crazy. Um, but you know, there are other studies of Facebook that show the more, the more, if you put an ad that has a, a, a visual you can click on and a link and a picture, your, your response rates go down. So taking away choices worked. It's like one article click rates went up, open rates didn't go down. So again, you sort of, we tested our way three, two, one, longer format, shorter format until we were able to optimize it. But we were always optimizing against the people that we knew were really uh, uh, interested. We also but, sort but of clearly, if you're getting your open rate up to fifty five percent, you're not you weren't talking about just fifty five percent of the thirteen percent they're already opening. No, so you we kept, it expanded, right. right? Exactly. It expanded the group. And then what we started to do is look at those people and as we were driving them back to our website, we said, you know what, these people are really engaged. Let's open up a special uh, Facebook group for them. And just say these are our, these are like the you know the people that we can really count on. And so we set up a f- special Facebook group for them, and that was sort of made them feel special. We put give them unique content, and we nurture that little conversation. So these are all interesting, you know, 
learnings and experiments because, you know, groups are a big issue, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. groups, the LinkedIn mm-hmm. groups and mm-hmm. how do you do them in near term. So it's, it's a fun, uh, you know, it's our, it's our little playground, uh, that's been, you know, a learning lab, constantly learning. Interesting. All right. Well, unfortunately we've run out of time, but, oh my uh, God. yeah, it's gone so quickly. I'm gonna have to have you back again sooner than we did this last time. Cause yeah, I didn't get to any of the questions I was going to ask. You, oh my God. But, but, uh, uh, well, it wasn't me talking too much. No, no, it was, it was great. I'm sure people okay. got great value from it. So, so Drew, tell people how, uh, how they can get in touch with you and, and learn about your company. Uh, so it, uh, renegade.com is where you can find the agency. I mentioned socialmediaexplorer.com. Um, and then uh, my podcast is Renegade Thinkers Unite, which you can find on renegadethinkersunite.com. And you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter for Renegade on renegade.com. So there you go. And just you've just been forewarned that you're going to be experimented on. <laughs> and one place in that we don't experiment on the <laughs> renegade.com one, by the way. All right. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Well, Drew, thanks again. And friends, thank you for joining us again today. Remember, come back again tomorrow. We've got another great episode of Accelerate for you. Until then, really appreciate it if you get a chance. Go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast. Take a moment, subscribe, leave us a review. We want to hear what we can do to make this a more valuable investment of your time. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 